Hey, loyal Talking Health Tech podcast listener. This episode of Talking Health Tech, episode 323, it was recorded live at Vold's Alter Clinic in Brisbane at a THT Plus meetup we held at the end of last year. Now, I'll explain that a little bit more in the actual episode, but I just wanted to jump on first before it all started to let you know this one actually got released a little bit earlier this week onto our YouTube channel because we produced this whole video around it. It was recorded live in a clinic setting and there was three or four cameras around in front of a live audience. We're up on a stage and it was one of our first attempts at doing one of these live in-person audio and video recordings because we're trying to build up our YouTube following. So if you've not already, check out the video on our YouTube channel and you can also watch it on our website, but the link to our YouTube channel is in the show notes of this episode. I'd love for you to go over, have a watch, subscribe to the channel. If you've not set up a YouTube account before, now's a good chance to do it because we want to grow our YouTube presence to reach even more people and spread the word about healthcare innovation across Australia and beyond. Really appreciate it. Here we go. You know what they say, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And that's true in many contexts, but certainly when it comes to healthcare. Because how else do you know if you're getting better or worse? If you haven't got the data, the measurements to compare where you were before with where you are now. But having good objective measures is also important in healthcare because often there usually isn't just one clinician that's looking after you as a patient. So you go from a GP to a physio to a specialist to another provider. So having a common set of measures for multiple providers to reference would go a long way to not just make you feel better when you're sick, but maybe even prevent a healthcare issue before it happens. Well, in this episode today, I chat with Matt Green, Rehabilitation Lead for Outpatients at the Wesley Hospital. Now, this episode was actually recorded live at Vold's Alter Clinic in Brisbane in front of an audience of 40 to 50 THT Plus members and guests. And it was our first attempt at doing an IRL-style meetup within the THT Plus community. And I'm excited to say it won't be our last. We're planning more of these opportunities to bring our THT Plus community together in person for some networking and connection, but also to hear the quality discussions live and participate in them as well. So if you're keen to come along to the next one, check out our website, talkinghealthtech.com, to learn more about joining THT Plus and be the first to know when the next awesome opportunity to connect like this presents. So here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. So with me today, live at Vols Alter Clinic in Brisbane, with an audience of some 40 to 50 THT Plus members and guests. And this is where you make noise to prove that we're all live. Thank you. I'm joined here on stage by Matt Green, the Rehabilitation Lead for Outpatients at the Wesley Hospital in Brisbane. He's also Head of High Performance with the Brisbane Lions Women's AFL team for the past seven seasons. Matt, how are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you. So look, we're, we're mic'd up like multiple times because we're recording audio and I've got this other thing here too. So look, I only gave a really high level intro about what you do and it's fascinating having this whole bringing together of sports, health and everything, but give a bit more context. Tell us about you and what you do. 
Um, yeah, well, I suppose like a, a round off of where I'm at now. I s started as a mere exercise physiologist in a clinic at, at the Wesley um, and, and doing some contract work for, for a company at that time for, for um, some sporting organisations that were sort of attached to the QAS at the time and, and did that for a couple of years and then worked through, the, through my ways in AFL Queensland as well in, in the high performance pathways there, um, developing that to sort of what it is now. It's changed a lot over the last sort of 10 years, but went through a lot of different changes there, which was um, different and new. And then all by the way, was working away at the Wesley Hospital um, as an exercise physiologist there. And then probably that came to about seven years ago, started at the Brisbane Lions as the high performance manager there in, in an AFLW situation that was very quick to start. It was very um, infant, uh, it was very small, um, and probably, as you'd be aware now, he's grown astronomically um, in the last seven seasons um, to, to where it is now, and um, the amount of staff and um, particularly sort of what our players are paid now is a significant change. So that, that's been exciting along the way. And then um, in the last... Uh, when I start about February, March this year, started in the role of um, the outpatient's lead um, at, at the Wesley Hospital as well. So lead a, a very busy life, which is probably to much the dismay of my wife and two children. <laughs> um, working to- How old are your kids? How old are you? I've got um, a three-year-old um, and a nine-month-old. Um, so, what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> great question. This is my, one of my nights off, so <laughs> wife's normally expecting me to be at home. <laughs> um, so my wife is super mum, super wife, um, holds down the fort at home while, whilst I try and do my best to try and juggle sort of two full-time um, You remember positions. it was recorded, didn't you? That yes. Was, that's that's my, my, nice, nice. My, my <laughs> uh, so I'm away, way on one night off. Um, so yeah, now it's just a, a big challenge in managing those sort of, I guess now two, two high, relatively high profile positions yeah. um, and managing all of that across both health and sport. It's great that we're having this conversation. Thank you. It's great we're having this conversation about, you know, the performance side, which we'll talk about measurement in a sec, but also the health. Just show of hands because we've got people here. So if you come more from like the, you associate more with the performance and sports side of things, put your hand up. Yeah, we've got some. And like all the health side, actually we'll start again. There's the health, like pure health side, not so much about sports and performance. So yeah, we've got a lot of health. And sports and performance, yeah, look, there's, I've had a chat with a few, yeah, so there's a few hands up. So when it comes to this, you know, the performance side in particular, I know measurement is really important. Everything gets measured and there's technology that's, that helps a lot with that. Talk to us a bit about, you know, that, that measurement tech and how, maybe how it's changed over the time. Yeah, so I suppose it's sort of my first exposure was very early days in the AFL pathway and sort of the, the invention of catapult units and, and how that's developed over, over time in the sense of GPS devices and going from what looked like and felt like a brick between players' backs um, that they're wearing um, between their shoulder blades to, to now what's a, a very small device, very light, very lightweight and, and seeing how that sort of developed over time. First bit of exposure, I was going through university at the time where Dave Opar and, and Shieldy were, were messing around with um, force units and chains and things like that to develop what was the first sort of look at what looks like a Nord board <laughs> um, to what is what looks a hell of a lot better now than a couple of pieces of foam and um, some force transducers and 
a carabiner and some chains. So um, that, that's come a, a significant way as well. And even looking at the way in which four steps has, has developed over time as well, selling the only see the laboratory at QUT is now something that we've got three, three within a football club, one that travels with us and, and two that are around the place as well. So they're obviously become far more cost-effective uh, um, for, for people to utilise. Um, so even across my short career of what seems very, very minuscule of 10 years has developed in quite a significant space of time, probably in all facets, but uh, I think that's probably where my desire and, and hunger to measure things and, and have something objectively in front of me is probably um, stemmed from, yeah. um, is, as you rightly said, in sport, everything's measured down to when they wake up, when they go to sleep, to yeah. <laughs> what they're eating, um, it, it comes along the way. So that, that's probably where the, the development and the driver and the investment into technology in that space has been quite significant because uh, a lot of these types of people are more than likely doing PhDs parallel to, to their job or masters mm. or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so then applying that to health then, like what have you taken from that world of sports yeah. and performance and brought into the health side? Yeah, well, it was sort of, I guess, as I said, it organically over time. I've shared these two roles and you always um, have a think about, well, what can I take away from one, one pathway to the other? And uh, probably to flip it back just for a moment is try and bring a little bit more empathy from my healthcare side to my athletes in, yeah. in the first, first, point of, first point of call is I'd go from, from one environment where I was very empathetic um, to my patients, to another environment where I was probably a little bit more of a hard ass um, <laughs> to them. So, but then equally coming back the other way in the sense of we're monitoring everything on these athletes day in, day out, how they're going, how they're progressing. We're looking for these, these progressions of one, two, maybe 5% of improvement o over a period of time, but let alone we're, we're probably not um, educating our patients along that way about those improvements that, that they're seeing yeah. um, or what that actually objectively or, and tangibly looks like. Mm. Um, we see them maybe once a week, it's 1% of their week and, and we can see that change in them, but likely it's countless times that the patients have come and are frustrated with a lack of progress, but you're trying to put that hand on their shoulder to be like, oh, you're actually going okay, this is what's going on, but being able to objectively show them that is, has been quite uh, difficult uh, mm. with a lot of the, I guess, the tests that we've relied on, um, particularly for me in an outpatient setting, have been relatively archaic in the sense that they just don't show sort of good progression over time and they've got a real ceiling effect on them where a lot of technology allows us to adjust the test with the patient and objectively show that over time. So in... From your experience, like I reckon that's cool that more and more things could be measured in healthcare more and more accurately. It, does it get to a point though of like diminishing returns where that's great that we can measure down to that extra percent? Like I'm thinking of what's the value then from a patient's point of yeah. view that of being able to measure more effectively? Yeah, yeah well, it always comes back to is if... If what you are measuring, are you using it for what? Mm. And does it change your clinical practice? Yeah. If it's not, then you, you're sort of wasting your time. So mm. the value needs to be there for the clinician. Um, 
and the value needs to be there obviously for the patient as well. So if, if you're able then to engage the patient and, and I've got, um, I'm a really big firm believer on, I, I, for the people that I hire or, or the clinicians that I deal with is I, I, I don't really care if you're the best clinician on the planet you could be the most intelligent have the best ideas, but if you're unable to engage your patient, they're not going to come with you on that journey. You've got to create that, the narrative with them along the way about what this is going to look like and, and how they're, how they're going along the journey. So they're, as I said, they're with you for probably 1% of their week. So mm. if they come into your clinic and they do their 30 minutes with you, and then they walk out the door and don't do anything until they come back to you next time they're not going to progress and they're likely going to blame you for it. Sure. So unless you're being able to engage them with that, and that's where education underpins a lot of what, what I'm trying to do with patients or what I'm trying to do with the clinicians to mm. get their patients um, on track with is showing them these objective measures about how they're, they're going and making it really concise. And that's, again, what Val have done a, a, a really good job of is, is the patient interface or the clinical interface, whatever that looks like. Then there's the, the broader hub, um, Val hub, but in terms of the application there right in front of you, you're able to give them real-time feedback about what they're seeing. And that's what a patient wants is yeah. the patient wants to see what's happening right now. How has that changed over time? How does that compare to me last week? The other questions, and, and probably talk about this a little bit later, is they want to know how does that compare to Joe Bloggs over there who's mm. in the exact same situation as me? Um, yeah, is that so good or not? Yeah. Is it good or not? That's pretty much the first question I get asked is that <laughs> they actually don't really care about how they've gone. They're like, how does that compare to him? Yeah. Or how does that compare to her? Yeah. Uh, um, and that we're all in that business of comparing ourselves about how <laughs> am I going compared to everybody else. But mm. coming back to your question around, the patient engagement piece is it's about engaging them in their story and, and creating this narrative around what, what are we trying to achieve and what does, for, for me as an exercise physiologist or as a physio, this stuff that I want you to do at home is going to fix X, Y, and Z. Um, and they've engaged in that in a way that they can then um, look at it a bit further. That, they struggle to understand if I do a sit to stand and I walk out there and back and I do it a little bit quicker, that's mm. great. But yeah. what does that actually mean and how have I actually improved that over time um, has a real ceiling effect, particularly for our, our higher, higher end patients. Mm. It's only so fast you can walk to somewhere and get back without, you can't, you can't tell if you can't run. So <laughs> you know, walk out there and back. So a lot of those tests are, are very sort of archaic in the sense they've got a very small ceiling. On them. Yeah. And is there a... If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, 
you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. You know, thinking of a clinic or a health setting that's looking at implementing, it's all, it's often comes back to return on investment, yeah. right? Is there a, a cost benefit as well of implementing some of these things? Oh, big time. Uh, what we see sort of um, instantaneously is just just that data collection. So even just things around, within the Wesley, we've used handheld dynamometry for a long, long time. But that that's come with, do you do your tests, write it down, do your tests, write it down, mm. do your tests, write it down, do your averages and, and do all those different types of things. And that, that's obviously taking time and then sitting down with the patient and, and going through what that actually looks like, yeah. where from a return on investment point of view, that the clinician's not having to go back afterwards, do all their notes after, after they've um, treated the patient or, or whatnot, or, or sitting at home in a private clinic and sitting at home at eight o'clock at night, trying to remember what you did do, Joe, at 7am in the morning, <laughs> becomes a little bit tricky. So... In terms of clinical time, it speeds that up significantly. Test time, quite significantly improved as well, particularly with things like Force Dex and, and Dynamo and, and Force Frame. It's relatively repeatable as well. Even if we looked at handheld dynamometry as an example, um, we can have the, the intertestal reliability is quite poor, right? So being able to do that consistently, no matter, and particularly what we've seen over COVID as well is... I might see you one day, hmm. but then you get COVID. I don't see you for a week and I need to test again and it's becoming very unreliable. So allowing it to be reliable, repeatable, all of those different things makes obviously an improved workplace. Um, it gives your clinicians an engagement piece as well. Hmm. They're seeing that engagement around, I'm actually making this patient improve. I can see that longitudinally over time um, and engaging with those patients on a, on a broader broader level rather than just, uh, let's use a total knee replacement as an example. Your knee's gone from 90 degrees to 110 degrees. Great. High five. Well done. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean functionally um, for that patient? What does that mean from, and again, for me, it's, it's about what, what is that, that deeper understanding about how do, how do we improve their function in their day-to-day life as well? You mentioned before, because, you know, makes sense. Patients often love it. And, you know, you're a big advocate for utilizing some of these tools in the health space. You mentioned before about getting the clinicians engaged as well, not just the, from the patient side. In terms of change management and like, particularly for, you know, in a hospital setting, getting those stakeholders on board and doing some of this stuff, yeah. it's pretty tricky in healthcare yeah. generally. So how have you, how do you, how have you gone about it? You know, yeah, it's, it's tricky. I mean... For, for us to get to the point now when we've relatively got a full valve suite, it's probably been about a four-year journey. I was fortunate enough to have a, a good working relationship with Sam, who works at, at Valen, for instance, um, in a previous work life. So in chatting to him over a good four-year span about, look, this is what I want to do. This is, this is my vision. This is my dream. And 
I don't need to sell that to, to the old guys that's, that they know that. But it's then, for, for me, it was about looking at exactly what you said before is in business, it's about what's your return on investment. Yeah, yeah. So what, am, what are we getting back as, as an organisation at the end of the day when what, and plainly what makes us money is, is operating on people <laughs> um, in a very bland, dry set, yeah. um, is, is operating on people and, and looking at that. So it was starting again to create this, this narrative around how is this going to help us reduce things like length of stay, how's it, all these sort of catch cries that, that hospital organisations like um, around sort of length of stay, how does it improve our outcomes? We look at specific types of things that we do lots of, like a, a total knee replacement as an example. If we look at statistics around that, one in five people are dissatisfied with a total knee replacement. It's a pretty significant amount of people that walk away from a very painful surgery. So it's not a small bit of surgery. Right? No, it's a, not a small bit of surgery. It's a costly surgery for private health uh, insurers as well. So why are one in five people walking away from that dissatisfied? And looking at, and, and for me, selfishly looking at the way in which the healthcare industry is very sort of reactive rather than coming from an industry in sport that's very proactive yeah. in the sense that I'm going to stop you from getting this by doing X, Y, and Z mm. rather than going, okay, I'll just wait for you um, to fall apart and then I'll do something about it, which I've, which I've heard too often. Yeah. Um, so where can we start to create a different way of doing things and being innovative in that sense is starting to understand what we could actually change for these people and um, as much as I'm very sheltered in, in, in private health, not public health, um, that a lot of these people come to me motivated, they're wanting things to, to improve and, um, and get better, that, yeah, again, likely that they've come from a situation where they've recently probably fallen apart or can't, haven't been able to walk for a long period of time. So coming back to where then the hospital looks at that is that the next best thing for for a business is consumer engagement, right? So yes. if the consumer is engaged in what you're doing and they're happy and they're happy with their outcome, they're happy with the service that they're being provided along the way. Yep. And what we pride ourselves on is that someone can walk in the door on their day one or day zero or negative, negative 20 weeks before their surgery, whatever it is, and they're serviced right from the start, right to the finish, and they're happy um, all the way through. Um, and that's probably where the, the growth and the, and the future of this sort, sort, sort of comes into it as yeah. well. It's um, very selfishly for me. It's very localised in outpatients currently. Um, and shall, and obviously that's where it's got, that's where it lives at the moment mm. um, in, in an outpatient setting, in, in demonstrating changes in force, changes in asymmetries and imbalances and all of these things that, that we're commonly associated with musculoskeletal orthopedic rehabilitation, but it's application across different conditions and, and types of conditions that I can see from a stretch goal point of view uh, was the next piece in terms of engaging different people at different levels. So yeah. for me, from the, the top down, looking at our general manager and our director of clinical services, it's not just about how does it selfishly impact you? <laughs> yeah. But what does it look like from an organisation point of view? And 
and my allied health manager was very good at, at making me think about that is how can it sort of, how can it affect everybody else and how can I help everybody else with it? Yeah. Um, and then likely then what works along parallels to that about what are our other consumers? Our other consumers are our surgeons so, and our specialists. So how's it going to help them yeah. um, get better outcomes? How's that going to help them engage more patients from the community that might go for us, might go to Brisbane Private or they might go to a Ramsey healthcare centre or they, they might go somewhere else. Yeah. Why are they going there? They might go to MARTA. Um, why are they going to those places instead of us? Yeah, right. I'm sure there's going to be questions from those in the audience too because there's always questions when it comes to specific implementations and we'll do that at the end of this conversation because I've got a couple more for you because I think it's really important that you take that organisational view but also a big part of us, the, that success is, you know, all the clinicians actually advocating for it, changing their workflow and not just saying in front of a patient when the tech doesn't do what it's supposed to do, oh, this stupid bit of thing, oh, let's just do it the old, you know, th this way because I don't know why I need to. And then yeah. it becomes this weird yeah. thing. How do you get that buy-in from the clinicians to actually change their clinical workflow? Yeah, it's, it's a great one because, I mean, we're, we're a large, um, large rehabilitation workforce was sort of, with um, well in excess of sort of like 170 people. So you're going to have these, um, you're going to have this variance of people that have been around for a long time, sure. as you rightly said, that like doing things a, a certain way. Um, yeah. And then you've, you've likely got um, new grads or, or people in, in the industry that are looking and are thirsty for, for these types of things. So they're the easy ones. They, they eat it up, they, they go and search out people and search out um, myself and go, how do I learn more? How do I what podcasts do I go and listen to? What um, videos are out there? And that's a good thing about what, what's happened through COVID is that a lot of these things are relatively easily available yeah. now, right? There's videos for everything. There's podcasts sure. for everything now. So they can access all of this sort of stuff um, at their fingertips. So it's easy enough to direct them in the right right setting. So mm. they're sort of there. They're the ones that are easy to look after. I've, I was obviously very fortunate to work with um, the kit that we have for eight or nine years and seen it develop. So yeah. I, I guess for me, I, I'm the person on the ground that can troubleshoot it. So I don't have to call up Laurie's team and be like, oh mate, we've, we've got a problem. I, I don't know what concentric peak force means. Can you guys come out and tell us what it means? I, I can sort of be that person on the ground, but needless to say that um, the, the, the customer support side of things is, is significant, but yeah. it's easy enough for them to walk into my office and be like, oh, I've had this patient this is what this is at, but coming back to probably what your question was more about is how do you deal with those people that are no, that's right. I mean, change resistant having, or having someone like yourself, like as yeah, the, you know the 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 internal advocate. You need you need that as well. But I think yeah, those people that are I guess change resistant um, or hesitant to change, they're they're the tricky ones, and <laughs> that's where you'll probably you'll you'll earn your money as a, as a leader is trying <laughs> to take them on on that journey and. For them, it is, it, it is definitely about starting to understand how they work clinically and how do they start to create their narrative around what do they use? What's, what do they hang their hat on clinically and go, this is what I look at to yep. assess change. So our pain management program is a good example. They just want to look at just real functional measures. All I want to see is function. Mm. Okay. So jumping on a force decks and, and looking at concentric peak force or eccentric rate of force development for them, but they don't care. <laughs> the, the patient's probably not going to engage in that. All they want to know is, can I walk from here to that table down the back there without getting pain? 
that's probably as simple as they want it to be. So starting, starting to them is just really just stripping back to some simple metrics for them or using things like Dynamo to just look at push-pull strength very simply um, that they're likely like things that they've done in the past is like a 30-second push-up test. Like that, that doesn't tell me too much about what's going on. Um, so where we can start to sort of generate this narrative with that patient and, and those clinicians around what that looks like and, and having a real, I guess, a mutual respect around that, yeah, it is probably going to take you a little bit of time just to get used to it but looking at the clinical workflow longitudinally and what and the buy-in in terms of what we're trying to do as a business in terms yeah. of I can then generate uh, reports around, look, you're doing a much better job. <laughs> you're, you're increasing this person's function by X, Y, and Z, um, or you're you increasing. Point at you got something to point at. And, and go to the health funds and be like, yeah, you need to keep paying us money um, to, to bring these patients in into the hospital. Because if you're obviously like anything, if you're not showing consumers or the health for the health insurers that you're actually generating change with these patients, yeah. they're not going to invest in it. Um, so it, it, it leverages across all, all levels of, of consumer engagement as well. Cool. And so lastly then thinking about, you know, this is what you've done now with the kit. Where, how far can you take it within healthcare? What are you excited about implementing in other parts of healthcare? Yes, immediately if I sort of look, look from immediacy to long-term, immediacy is, is really starting to develop a, an understanding of a patient's pathway along in orthopedic musculoskeletal. That, that's what I'm, I'm obviously very passionate about. Um, orthopedic musculoskeletal is start to really generate these pathways about um, and develop normative, normative data set for patients, whether it's total knee replacement, total hip replacement, whoever they are, whether it's a, a disectomy, whatever it is, the patients want to know where they sit along this trajectory, where yeah. do they sit along this pathway of I'm six weeks post, um, how strong should I be, what should my limb symmetry index um, should be, all of those types of things. So developing a really sound data set and create these, I guess, pathways um, along that line and equally um, start to generate these preoperative expectations for patients with surgeons as well, um, and, and engage them in the sense of, oh, well, if they if we can do a preoperative screening and, and they're sitting here, this is the expected outcome, or they need to get into this certain zone before they earn the right to mm -hmm. be, be, um, have the surgery, uh, and generate sort of a, a better outcome longitudinally. And equally, start to be a little bit more proactive with that. Those types of things is not just go. Let's say we, we generate this this threshold of this is where we start to engage with the surgeon again. Um, we go, okay, if you drop below this threshold, we need to send you off to the surgeon. Rather than going, oh, let's just wait and see and just yeah. see how it goes, and um, we might send you off to them next week or maybe the week after. And so there's a lot of wait until it breaks. And wait until it breaks, right. Yeah. And that's, as I said, what I alluded to earlier is that very yeah. sort of reactive um, component to healthcare rather than being very proactive with it and, and showing it. And again, as I said, showing them their, their journey along this line and, and how it might shift or where mm. they should be sitting at any one point in time. And, and that, that generates that next engagement piece is if people see that they're dipping below what is the, the expected timeframes, it might give them that little kick up the bum to be like, okay, I actually might need to do my home exercise program that you've told me to go to. I might need to go to the gym like you've told me to for four weeks. <laughs> or like I've told you, go to hydro for the last three weeks. You might actually need to go and do it because 
we know what we're talking about. Um, so I might just give them that, that little understanding of, okay, this is where I should be going, but I'm over here. Yeah. Okay. And the surgeons told me that I'm going fantastic. There's no infection. Um, swelling's well controlled, pain's well controlled. It's actually up to me to actually go and do something about it. So again, it, it comes back to that patient engagement piece along it. So yeah. that's probably my, my dream from a musculoskeletal orthopedic, um, standpoint and we, we've got some good buy-in from, from some of our surgeons, which is great. Cool. Um, and, and some great support from valve as well about what we're trying to do in that space. And then. Across then, again, stretch goals is, is, and I've listed these off in, in a couple of different proposals is how it can then be applied across any and all components of, of what we service within a hospital. So whether it's looking at neurological patients and assessing balance a lot more accurately rather than doing things like a Berg balance assessment or whatever these might be, we can actually go and, and set these, um, set these parameters around patients, around what balance actually looks like and, and astutely and accurately assess balance over a period of time, um, in, in those types of patients and whether that be vestibular or, or neurological for that matter and stretching beyond that. And a big thing in hospitals is falls risk mitigation and falls risk assessment. So yes. Can we, can we appropriately assess people's balance and risk stratify them more, uh, more effectively rather than pretty much everybody that walks into a hospital is a falls risk, yeah. which is the, the crux of where it sits at the moment. So could we risk stratify a little bit more effectively? And then looking further to that around, obviously just looking at progression for any patients along any stream, whether it's reconditioning after oncology or pre-oncology is how can we assess their strengths and function and how that changes over time. That's a very psychologically demanding journey for a lot of those patients. Yeah. And the changes that we're looking for over a period of time may be very minuscule, but they're, they are big, big things for them to see in a journey that is very, very psychologically demanding. And so if we can be more sensitive to change, their engagement in their rehabs, but we quite significant um, and allows them to see that uh, a longer journey. And down the track, I, th I think it, it could, be, could be endless. It just, it's your, your capability or your mind is probably the only limitation to you going, okay, how, how am I going to apply this to my patients or apply this to my clinical practice uh, to allow us to, to develop a broader understanding or a broader clinical picture of that person at that point in time um, and how that progresses along the stage. And I mean, for me, it's been very hard in the past, very, we're all paper notes. Yeah. So trying to show someone change over time, it's like, oh, look at this here. We'll just flip through yeah. your file here. That's um, an example. So like, yeah, I had a firefighter who went through and uh, who went through bowel cancer. I saw him for well over three years trying to get back to firefighting, extensive surgery and just being able to show, and this is where sort of, he was probably one real example where I was just like, it is really hard to show this guy change yeah. because I'm hamstrung by the way in which that we have to take notes, um, to be like, oh, here, here's your, here's yeah. your change. Nothing but compared to, yeah. It's... Yeah. You've got to here, flick through your own novel here and it's <laughs> this big hospital chart. Yeah. Um, and you'll see you change rather than things like Valve, for instance, where I could bring up a, 
a piece of paper and show him his journey across three years and be like, mate, look at this. Mm. This is, I know it's been tough, <laughs> yeah. but look at where we've come. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. From to, to where we are now, so those sort of longitudinal rehabs as well um, can, can be quite, um, quite impactful yeah. as well. No, that's awesome. Look, well, mate, I think you've articulated that really well. Conscious of that. I saw other questions as well, but you're hanging around for a yeah, bit yeah. here as well. Yeah. So um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. Thank you, Matt, for sharing with us as well. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.